How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I am、uh, super excited because we've got one of the originators of the, I guess you would say, the K Rock format. <laughs> kind of invented,、uh, you know, along with many others, invented、uh, or created this new exciting format that got me excited about radio. And me. Yeah. I mean, it's,、uh, it was weird when I, you know, Kind of flipping the dial, I, I moved away from KMET and KLOS, like, well, what's over here? Kind of experiencing. Okay, so you're giving a you know, great introduction, but we have our very first guest on what difference does it make? Yeah, we're, we're first guest ever? First guest ever. Oh my God. Exactly. For a young podcast. <laughs> so, as I told you,、um, we're very excited to introduce Freddie Snakeskin. You know Freddie from KROQ, you know Freddie from the 90s at Mars. You know Freddie from Sirius XM. You know Freddie from, <laughs> right? You, you know Freddie. From the, from the Hollywood police station. There you go. <laughs>、um, I mean,、yeah. I haven't been there, but you also know him from KROQ HD2. Correct. Currently. Currently, yes. Very good. He's come and gone from K Rock. He's,、uh, he's, it's just a station you, you just can't win. Yeah, well, they say fourth time's a charm. <laughs> has it been four times? It has been four times, yes. Oh, my goodness. All right. Wow. Wait, so how many <laughs> each, years? Each one、time? a little different. <laughs>、uh, I first started there in March of 1980. You, you don't just march into a radio station and they give you, hey, let's, let's get you on the air. Where, well, where did this I, all start? I had actually quite a bit of radio experience. I. Grew up in Phoenix and、uh, worked at a couple of top 40 stations after, after working my way up through high school at、uh, various crappy、uh, little suburban stations. And、uh, then I was good enough to get a, a job at,、uh, at the leading top 40 station in town. And from there, I got an offer to come to LA for another top 40 station, an AM station called 10Q. Which、uh, you may remember. That、yes. was、uh, about 1977 or thereabouts. Yes. I remember. So that's what brought me to,、uh, to LA. And that fizzled out after about a year and a half. So I、um, got a job at a radio syndicator called Watermark doing、uh, various production tasks. I was the,、uh, the fastest tape editor in the West. <laughs> I had a scully with a foot pedal to release the brakes. So I was like, and、uh, hey, we cannot take for granted good editors. <laughs> well, especially back then.、Editors. This was not,、yeah. <laughs> you know, this was not digital editing. You had a razor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And splicing and, and occasionally <laughs> the wounds on my hands to,、uh, to show for it. <laughs> and so.、Um, so 10Q. From 10Q. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to 10Q to Watermark. And then I got a, a, a part time job at an AOR station called K West,、mm-hmm. which you may remember also. 105.9. Yes. Yes. Now Power、Free、106. Power. Yes. <laughs> and、um, they changed format to some kind of easy listening. And so、right? I was. So they, they, they switched from, from hard rock to. To like Muzak? Well, it was like hot AC. Was, oh, okay. You know, Captain and Tennille. Yeah.、Know. Sure, because this、Do、was 1979. Do it to me one more time. This was 1979. This That's the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was hot stuff. That was literally,、right. literally hot stuff. <laughs> I was、uh, friends with、um, much people at KMET, which was my goal then was to get a job at KMET. So I was, I was lobbying them pretty hard. But then I thought, well, If I got on the air at, say, a station like K Rock, I could、uh, 
Make a ton use, of money. Use that as my uh, audition <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to get into KMET. So I started doing weekends at K-Rock, and I figured, well, this will never last, because at that time, uh, station didn't even have a license, mm-hmm. which is a whole other story we can we can discuss <laughs> if you if you want. But uh, of course, <laughs> and uh, one thing led to another, and yada, yada, uh, yada. K-Rock kind of suited me, so I just stayed put. Now, were, were you aware of K-Rock? Obviously, you were as a radio guy. You had oh, yeah. flipped around through uh, through the yeah, dial. I, I, and- I had listened for years. I was a listener. I'm a listener that went too far. <laughs> what was it about those early days of K-Rock that attracted you? Like, well, I'll give this a shot. Or, or something that, that intrigued you, like when they made the offer. Like, well, oh, this They had the potential to, to be so many things. <laughs> and I just didn't hear it at the time. It was just really sloppy and amateurish. Mm-hmm. And so uh, K-Rock eventually hired a program director with Top 40 training by the name of Rick Carroll. And uh, so he structured a little format. They, would, he, they wouldn't let him change too much about it. They wanted the music to stay. Mm-hmm. The ownership wanted the music to stay uh, pretty much as it was. Because uh, I often had, used to have a little debate with Rick. Well, it was up to, if it was up to you, we'd be doing nothing but Beatles weekends. <laughs> and he'd say, well, if it was up to you, we'd be playing nothing but Frank Zappa freeform weirdness. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like dynamic tension. You were talking about the music, uh, wanting to work at KMET before going on the air for practice at KROQ. Do you have a musical preference? Do you um, – I guess you should probably decline well, to say um, now since you're uh, – I've always been a uh, fan of adventurous, different-sounding music. Even uh, in, a, in a top 40 context, I was always listening to B-size and, and weird stuff and trying to sneak stuff on the air with uh, various degrees of success. So what was it about KMET wanting to be on the air at KMET? Well, at the time, KMET was the uh, you know was the eight hundred pound gorilla of radio, and in, in not just LA but in in the country, yeah, one of the most influential stations ever at that time. And uh, K Rock was just a little toilet in Pasadena without a license. <laughs> a lot of listeners went from KMET to KROQ. Yeah, yeah, that they was did. the the, the transition. Oh, definitely. So- so okay, yeah, but at, but at the time, so they, they, you know, well, I I can't remember who owned KMET. I mean, it was you know they were it was Metro Media, yeah. Yes. yeah so that was yeah. a big big deal. Can you talk a little bit about the owners at that time? Who oh was- uh, yeah, that's quite a story. There was just <laughs> one guy by the name of Ken Roberts. One guy. He had been um, Sly Stone's manager, also uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and Jay in the Americans. He's a he was a businessman mm-hmm. from Hoboken. Perfect. And uh, why he, are you he, making quotes when you say businessman? <laughs> well, he had uh, he just had that way about him. Sure, uh, he, he had that mafia stare uh, perfected. You know, like that glare. Like, what do you want? You know, is every other fucking word he said was fucking. <laughs> but, so he was like, you know, you. He wasn't really a gangster, but he kind of like carried himself that way. And so he uh, was a, was a money guy. He had lent the original owners of K Rock. Uh, he had lent them fifty thousand dollars and um, to stage a concert with Sly Stone at Redondo Beach on a uh, on a boat. Uh, some kind of a you know what can go wrong? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, long story short, it sank in Redondo Beach Harbor. And it turns out that uh, they never bothered to get any insurance. And so they uh, ended up uh, owing the city of Redondo Beach uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get rid of this hulking wreck. Uh, and so all the uh, owners of K-Rock, because they had uh, incorporated it as a general partnership as opposed to a limited partnership, that meant all the individual investors were each liable for the debts of the company. So all those people scattered to the four winds. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was basically nobody left to, to run the station and, you know, pay the bills. And so uh, Ken Roberts saw his investment, you know, literally flying, flying away with Thinking. wings on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he figured he better do something. And uh, at that time, the FCC had a rule that uh, if you were dark, if you're not broadcasting after a certain day, you forfeit the license. So K-Rock had been off the air for, I don't know how long it was, but the, the deadline was fast approaching where if uh, it didn't get back on the air, that uh, they would no longer have the license. So uh, Ken sent two guys up to the transmitter site. He, he paid the past due electric bills, and he bought some bare-bones radio equipment. And he sent two guys up to the transmitter with bolt cutters and a reel-to-reel tape recorder. It was a Roberts <laughs> tape recorder, you know, of course. incidentally, uh, just to uh, to play a tape and get something on the air. And so as soon as that happened, that automatically reset the timeline. And so he became essentially a uh, unlicensed creditor in possession of the of the station's assets. And uh, so he wanted to get his, you know, he said, "All I want is my fifty thousand dollars back." Then it became, all I want is my half million dollars back. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, saw that it could uh, be turning into a lucrative thing, at least for him. Mm-hmm. You know, get a bunch of uh, get, get a bunch of guys on the air and um, pay him whatever, what, however little he could get away with. And um, just basically let him do whatever they wanted as long as he didn't jeopardize the uh, non-existent license. And, you know, get on there and, and swear and <laughs> things like that. So the, and what, year, what, was the, what year was this? Like, this was so about – this was the late 70s, 78, 79, somewhere in there. Okay, so – 77 maybe. All right. So S- young Freddie Snakeskin is looking for something. Well, that time I was at 10Q and I, I was, you know – I was a K-Rock listener and I found the whole situation very interesting. Were you aware of what was going on at this time? Um, yeah, because I had a good friend that worked there. Okay. And who was that? I used to go up and visit him. It was a guy named uh, Brad Sobel. Uh, Sandy Beach mm. Okay, was his uh, radio name. Very original. And so uh, he was fascinated with, uh, with my job at 10Q, and I was kind of fascinated with his station. So we'd uh, visit each other back and forth. And he kind of filled me in on the, on the story of Ken Roberts and – what was going on? And so, when you interviewed, did you interview with Ken Roberts for the job? No, I never oh, met him until met- I never met him until uh, a couple of years after I'd started working there. Oh, really? He was just this enigmatic figure on a hill. You just heard the story, heard the name, and uh, there's a talk of this man. Sudden, there's this grumpy old man. Oh, that's him! Wow. <laughs> so he wasn't a music guy. He was just a business guy. Uh, he was. Uh, 
he was a music guy and that he was in the concert, concert promotion music. business and a uh, manager of artists like uh, usually when their when their careers were failing like uh, Sly Stone and uh, Frankie Valli. Mm-hmm. He became Frankie Valli's manager just before Greece. Good so, uh, yeah. So it was like coming into K Rock. Yeah. All right. So now you're at now you're at K Rock. Yeah. Are you what? Is it an overnight yeah. shift? Is it a? Uh, well, I started weekends and then uh, late nights, and, and who then the, afternoons. And who was the PD? Or was there a PD? Uh, the PD was Rick Carroll. Okay. It so, was he was the guy with top forty sensibilities that uh, you know that I could sort of relate to because we actually we both actually worked at real stations. Unlike uh, probably most of the other jocks, yeah, and so he's kind of credited with with creating this uh, yeah. this format. I mean, he was um, and basically he, he he just applied top forty formatics to uh, to all the weird music that uh, K Rock was playing. He identified uh, what were the hits, and you know he stressed those in rotation, and uh, he he uh, they wouldn't let him change too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, he he left one slot open every hour where we could play whatever we wanted, and that was uh, in many ways the keys to the key to K Rock's early success is the freedom of the of the jocks to uh, go out and find interesting music and no matter where it came from and bring it in and play it, which resulted in some really awful stuff on the air. But also um, that's where most of many of the hits. That we uh, that we pioneered came from, especially the imports. So is this? Uh, so you kind of found yourself. You were kind of like mining for gold a lot. Did you? Were you going to record stores, or were there? Yeah, what I was, was, I was, I was what going. Was... I was going to record stores. I was going to Poobahs all the time. And uh, I had a friend who ran a record distributor in Lawndale, and he would just let me uh, go in and uh, scour the shelves and take whatever looked interesting. And so I'd walk out of there every week with this big Beacons box full of albums, imports, and just amazing stuff, most of which wasn't suitable for airplay, but it helped me fill in the gaps in my own collection mm-hmm. and uh, enabled K-Rock to be first on the air with uh, a lot of these strange imports. And we would play them uh, in, in Rick's uh, Top 40 rotation, and the good ones would become hits. And then the local, the American record companies would pick up on them and try to figure out what it was we were playing, and then go over to England and, and sign the bands, and then six months later, the record would come out here, by which time we were kind of done with it. And we were on to something else, so that didn't necessarily endear us to a lot of record companies. You've got the What Differences Make podcast on your dial. If there is such a thing as a dial, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the exciting conclusion of the What Difference Does It Make podcast. And how did you figure out what was a hit? I mean, you, you had three, you played, you got three songs during, what, three, four-hour shift? Yeah, so yeah, four-hour so, shift. So you got to introduce four new songs yeah. per shift? How would, how would you figure out what a hit was? Or, or I mean, it, just, know, off, just off basic, one play. Just basically if we liked it. And uh, judging from what our listeners liked... Um, yeah, I think this one will catch on. Like, uh, yeah, give me some examples. Uh, yeah, so what were some that took Blue on? Monday, My New Order was just an unknown import when I first 
uh, got it out of the box and uh, uh, Billy Idol's first uh, 12 inch dancing with myself was another one and uh, Depeche Mode and B movie and all those that we know and love today. What were some of them that didn't? Some of your picks that you can think of that didn't make it, <laughs> that you never played again. Oh, there's too many of those. <laughs> Just one. I want to know if we've heard I, of it. <laughs> I do remember. I mean, it seemed like in the early days, if there was mention of sex or some or something, it uh, you know there was there was always something provocative about K Rock. That I mean, I still remember there was a song like "Too Young to Date." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember buying like as a 14 year old, like. This is crazy. And I, yeah. I remember searching that out. Like, I yeah. love this. Song. You, you play that today, you'd have uh, you'd have parents marching on on the station and lining the blocks. But that's what you that's what yeah, you love playing. Yeah, yeah. And, even the even our, our general manager made us stop playing that, <laughs> or at least they they made us start playing a an edited version, where uh, you know he's just ta- talking about my menstrual cycle. <laughs> They changed it to he's just talking about his favorite cycle. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. But that was, I mean, that's what made K Rock fun. I mean, um, it seemed like there was always something like drops, or I mean, there was always activity going on. We I, we were just looking at um, a YouTube video of you on the air. Oh yeah. First, first of all, you're smiling throughout the whole t- the whole time the camera's on. You're having the time well, of your was, life. It was so much fun. You yeah, know? I mean, it was clear. That you're having a great time and you're getting away with something. Yeah, I mean, some look like the cat that ate the canary. <laughs> but there were you always had drop. I mean, you know, like the yes, we like to keep a little an active stage going. Well, I thought little little up. snippets of uh, of tape, like from uh, from Dragnet and uh, various <laughs> old movies and TV shows, would sound weird and funny. So you know, I'd put those on uh, on a tape cartridge and just. Drop them in every now and then, and it's still done to this day. I mean, you listen yes, it to, is, and only well, now they're on the records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you listen to yeah, you listen to Kevin Bean in the morning, and they're they're still doing dry. You know, they're taking oh, yeah. old tape, and yeah, it's an old pro- it's an old radio trick. I, I don't claim to have invented it by any means. Yeah, but, uh, but, but it's kind of a, a thing now, for, or you know, from K Rock from the from the the get go. Yeah, we were like, kind of heavy handed about it back then, but that that's, <laughs> that was kind of the fun. Yeah, yeah, the radio landscape at the time. I mean, there was there was KMT, there was KLOS, and there was there was K West, and there was another small state called KNEC that was also right. doing freeform. Well, here's the deal. Uh, one of the uh, ways that K Rock became popular is that at that time there weren't enough, uh, say, new wave or, or K Rock type songs to build a viable format around. So uh, we would play uh, half. Uh, you know, traditional AOR music with the thought that uh, people looking for K-West would find K-Rock. I mean, and, you know, flipping too far to the come, right. Come for the Zeppelin, stay for the B-52s. Yeah. So this and is, uh, that worked rather well. Yeah, that was why answers we... our question about our, as we look at the top 106.7 songs yeah, in 1980. Yeah, they were, were some, shocked. there were some real duds in there, that's for sure. There was, but yeah, you saw the Stones, the Kings. Yeah. yeah, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> you played Tom Sawyer. Uh, many, many times. Yeah. And, and was this part of Rick Carroll's initial yeah. idea? Yeah. We're going to, we'll play songs that this is, and... Well, there, there weren't that many... Devos at the time. There weren't that many B-52s. 
but when did the the record company start sniffing like okay this this might be something we're going to have to march we got well by about 1983 the uh or thereabouts um the uh quality of uh, k-rock type music that was available increased quite a bit so we were able to shed uh the van halens and the uh the billy squires and uh Mm-hmm. <laughs> all that stuff and kind of leave it in the sandbox and move on. Was MTV an influence on what you were playing or was it vice uh, versa? I think it was of- actually vice versa, actually. Um, MTV, I think, came along 82, something like that. 81. Video, yeah, 80, uh, video killed the radio star and all that. And so we, we had an okay. early partnership with MTV where we were promoting them on the air and mm. hopefully they were promoting us by playing our music. Yeah, so that's it. I think it worked out a little better for them. You you soon discovered fans became kind of passionate about the the station, and oh, were, very very passionate. Can you talk about a little bit about your whatever the business office was like or the station was like at? Uh, at oh, Pasadena? it was it was, a, it was a real dump. It was uh, <laughs> the second floor of a, of a of an old building had a uniform shop on the first floor, and you you climb this rickety uh, staircase, and there'd be the underwhelming uh uh presence of of k-rock up there with the you know cheap old tapestries across the windows and you know posters on the wall and uh but it was home it was yeah people can't tell what the uh what the environment it's coming from is like when it when it comes out of the radio i mean we could have had pristine studios and well that was part of the joy of it i mean we it sounded like this you know Magic was happening from, from well, the station, if, you know. You, uh, if you've seen the video, you can see that they didn't really spend a whole lot of money on interior decorating. <laughs> Clearly not. But <laughs> does that add to the vibe? Does it add to the you know we're? Well, we thought it was kind of tacky at the time, but uh, looking back, it was like you say, it was home. Okay, so let's uh, let's end the, our part one of the interview right here. Wrapping up part one. That was uh, that's pretty interesting stuff. Thanks, Freddie. Yeah, this is great. Uh, we're going to divide this up into many episodes, and uh, maybe no, just three. Three, three sounds good. Three is the <laughs> magic number. Um, so we will uh, continue this next week. By the way, follow us on uh, social media, uh, Twitter, what's uh, an Instagram? What do we got there? WDDIM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And what difference does it make on Facebook and any podcast platform you choose? Sounds great. So tune in next week to, um, for part two of our Freddy Snakeskin interview. And thanks for listening to What Difference Does It Make? Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 